0: Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension beef educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be discussing the topic of increases in both labor and equipment cost, the impact of that to cow-calf producers, as well as the stocker and yearling phase, and also what are some things that might be impacting the markets as we look to the rest of this summer and on into the fall. Discuss these topics. I'm joined today by Dr. David Anderson, who's a professor and extension economist at Texas A&M University. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Anderson. Hey,
1: thanks for inviting me.
0: Dr. Anderson, as we just look at what's occurred here over the last 18 months to two years, we've seen some rapid increases both in labor and equipment costs. Thinking here not only about the cost of equipment itself, but also operations and repairs, in my mind, this is starting to have some impact to cow-calf producers as well as the stocker and yearling phase. As we look at what's going on right now with the general economy and the impact to the cow-calf producer, what are some things that you're seeing as you look at the economics and how might both cow-calf producers and the stocker yearling producer think about what's going on?
1: Well, I think you're right. You know, input costs, I think input costs are one of the major explanatory factors for why we're culling so many beef cows uh, in the U.S. And what it means with those those rising production costs, it means that those, you know, the calf prices that had been increasing, you know, they aren't increasing fast enough to offset the rising costs. And so, you know for that really creates a profitability reason for a lot of folks to cull more cows on top of the drought that's really dry a driving force in culling more cows. So you know those those are production costs across the board really squeeze margins and 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 force more culling. You know I, I think the the machinery part is pretty interesting I think because you know, many times, well, you know, machinery can last longer, we can make it last longer, but that does typically incur some more repair costs. And we've had a situation where parts are in short supply for for a lot of items. And so, you know, again, that piling on of costs, you know, I think for a a lot of cattle producers in other parts of the country, fertilizer prices are really a major uh, problem. And, you know, the We have so much of uh, particularly the south, let's say central Texas east, that are improved pastures that really require some fertilizer uh, to reach their potential, not only for hay production, but for grazing. And so these rising costs, I think, are really putting a squeeze on grass production uh, in a big portion of where, where a lot of the cattle are in the U.S., and so, uh, you know, I think that's an important factor. Fuel costs are the other one. Diesel prices, you know, through the roof. I think we're seeing an impact there of rising diesel prices, record high prices on calf prices, because, you know, the, the further you truck those calves, whether they're going to a feedlot, those feeder cattle, you know, the higher the cost it is to, to do that. And what that creates is the further away you are, the lower your price is because of that transportation cost. And so, you know, I think we're seeing a double whammy of production costs going up, but we're seeing a hit on calf prices for some ranchers uh, just simply from the the cost of hauling them.
0: So as we look at the rest of this summer and this fall, as we think about projected calf prices, do you think we may see a significant shift in basis uh, compared to maybe what we would look at for a 10 or 15 year average?
1: I think we're seeing a couple of these things. One is, you know, that regional basis, the further you are away from where cattle feeding is, we're going to see lower prices because of that. I think we're also seeing the effects of high feed costs on on calf prices if we looked at individual weights. Um, If I looked at some Southern Plains, uh, let's say lightweight steers, four to 500 pound versus seven to 800 pound um, I think we've already seen a, a sli- the slide uh, be squeezed pretty substantially where the heavy feeders uh, have not declined like those lightweight calves have. Uh, and so, you know, that's really due to this, this sharp rise in feed costs. Um, I think that's really, you know, what I'd argue is the number one factor. And the second one is we have seen some decline in futures market expectations of fed cattle prices. So that, that pressures those lighter weight calves that are going to finish later as well. And so, yeah, I think that it creates a, a, a slide that is where our heavy ones, that is much smaller than normal, a weight slide. Uh, but it also creates regionally some basis differences where I think we're going to have some wider basis. Uh, as we think about regionally, the farther those animals have to be trucked. So you know, you know, I, th- I think that's a I think that's a good observation that you make. And, and I think that's also against a backdrop of some expectations of rising cattle prices this year. We had an expectation of higher calf prices, uh, certainly calf prices that would be higher than they were last year. And I think that's still the case for this fall. But the, the top has been taken out of that, I think, by really, you know, feed costs and all the other production costs that are going on.
0: As we look at more of a global scale and thinking about economies in general, as we record this podcast, we're sitting here in, in the middle of June and uh, recently the stock market has been uh, pulling back significantly. There's some concerns, I think, globally about where the general economy is going. Are we maybe moving towards recession? What is your perspective as we look at where economies tend to be moving and thinking about beef demand and what might be shaping the end product use price that uh, may be impacted by that?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think this is a whole fascinating question. And, and I would I would start by thinking about inflation. Uh, it's been decades since we had in, an inflation problem in the U.S. Uh, and And we're back to seeing this, you know. As we look at the monthly consumer price index compared to the same month a year ago, you know, eight to nine percent increase, eight and a half percent year-over-year change. Uh, you know, I you know, I do tend to think about uh, inflation really as a monetary issue, in that, you know, I think we don't we typically do not see inflation defined as this excess growth in prices uh, without this. An excess growth in the money supply, and we can talk about the Fed uh, and and you know, relatively you know a real accommodated policy because inflation hadn't been a problem, and they you know they've been doing things to help the economy to boost the economy for a bunch of years, really since the Great Recession, and it never resulted in inflation, uh, and and then. We might also think about, well, you know what, some of the COVID relief funds that put a lot of money in people's pockets, all of a sudden they got money to spend. I think the part that's overlooked in this is, I think we're still dealing with the rippling effects of the pandemic. And, you know, I say that because, you know, in 2020, that second quarter of the year, you know, really beginning in March, but April, May, June, you know, the economy contracted by Roughly thirty uh, percent. Lots of folks were at home and nobody went out. We weren't, you know. I mean that that change for folks that still had jobs and were still working. They might have been working from home. People saved a huge amount of money. In fact, if we looked at some of the savings rate as a percent of disposable income, it was like twenty five percent. So uh, on average, across all the people in the U.S., they saved twenty five percent of their money. And once everything opened up, we're spending that money. And that's another injection of dollars, of of money supply into the economy that is being worked through now. And I think that's part of this contributor to inflation, which is, you know, a demand pull, a demand pulling prices higher because we're all spending money. Uh, We also have three and a half percent unemployment. And, and normally you get three and a half percent unemployment you start talking about some inflationary pressures because uh, uh, just because of the working labor market. so so we've got this inflation thing and it's been a lot of years since we've dealt with that. I think where we where we might think about beef demand is I think we already have anecdotally a, a number of uh, a lot of information in the marketplace to show that, rising prices are already changing people's behavior. Now I'll tell you, I I don't really like the term demand destruction. That's what you see a lot uh, in the kind of the more popular press. And I'll tell you, because I don't think, I don't think demand is destroyed. We still have demand for products, but we ought to think about two things. One, the high price is a market signal to consumers to buy less. And then the relative prices, we might think of beef, pork, and chicken. But also within beef, steaks to ground beef, uh, within chicken, you know, breasts to wings to thighs to legs, pork, the same thing, this host of cuts of varying values. So we see consumers switching between, you know, buying fewer steaks and more ground beef, uh, switching between higher priced pork and chicken items, but also switching from beef to lower priced chicken or lower priced pork. So I think we've got all that going on in addition to income effects of higher costs for everything else that gets people to buy less. But you know, anybody that's got a budget got you know, if you don't have unlimited money, you're forced to make choices. And so I think we've got that going on as well with people buying less. Now I said there's evidence of that in the economy. Um, if we looked at some of the, what we might call the middle meats, what comes out of the middle of the carcass, the steaks. If I looked at ribeye prices at wholesale, for the last month or six weeks, ribeye prices, not only have they been below last year's price, they've been below the five-year average. So we see lower prices, whether we're talking ribeyes or strips or fillets, prices are below a year ago at wholesale. But the, the ground beef is not. I think that's ample evidence of folks switching uh, what they're buying. Um, I think it's also an interesting thing to note that we've had wholesale beef prices. And, and when I say wholesale beef prices, uh, I might think about the cutout. And, and the choice beef cutout is uh, uh, not only has, is it below last year as well, but for about the last month, it's been below the five-year average. So we've got wholesale prices that are lower, yet we still have retail prices uh, that haven't moved much. And so we still haven't seen the effects of these lower wholesale beef prices at retail. But I, but I think we've got a bunch of evidence of that folks are changing their behavior. They're buying different things. And that's really a market at work. High prices giving folks a signal, high cost of fuel that impacts their budget. Gives them a signal to buy less of other things. That's when demand uh, shrinks. Demand shifts back. If we were thinking about it graphically, like if I was teaching class, and um, you know, I think that's what we have going on. I, you know, I think in in beef's favor is we have a product that consumers like. All of the move by the industry to produce a higher quality, more consistent product, more prime, more choice has really fed right into what consumers like. But now we're faced with, uh, you know, price and income effects on how much they're going to buy. And so, you know, I think that's where we are in this demand area. And and I think it's where, you know, I think think we'll be talking a lot about the beef demand and, and meat demand over the next six months.
0: Obviously what happens with the economy on a big picture scale is going to have an impact going forward. If you were going to give some advice to a cow-calf producer, to a stocker yearling producer, thinking about prices, what would be some things you would encourage them to think about or maybe keep an eye on as we
1: move through the summer on into the fall? I tend to think, you know, the first thing we should probably look at is costs, but but, but prices, you know, Heck, if we were looking at a lot trying to do something, uh, whether it's hedging or or an insurance product or something for price, I think the opportunity was quite was was a couple of months ago to do that for for this fall. But you know, I still think fundamentally we're looking at prices that are going to be higher than last year. So then I'm then I'm thinking more about about cost controls and and really examining the cost side of it, but you know, beyond this fall over the next several years, you know, I think we're going to be talking about higher and higher cattle prices. And I say that because from a fundamental supply standpoint, at the rate of beef cow culling that we're doing right now, for example, the last two weeks, uh, we have uh, slaughtered over 80,000 beef cows each week. That, that's the largest beef cow slaughter in a decade we got to go back to the drought of 10, 11, and 12 to get those kinds of numbers. So we're really shrinking the cattle herd. And we do work, you know, while we might think of our local auction, our local place where we are, our prices are affected by this national market. And so, you know, I really, the the opportunity then is to do things now that set us up to uh, take advantage of what I expect to see, to expect to see record high calf prices. Uh, in the next couple of years, simply because we're cranking down supplies that much. Now, we may have some demand things going on, but fundamentally, we have a a product that consumers like. Uh, And so, you know, I think that sets us up for, uh, uh, I think, uh, some optimism for, for the future. And so near term, it's more, I think, more cost controls and, you know, looking at it that way.
0: Anything else on this topic you think would be valuable for producers to think through and understand as we point towards wrapping this up?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think we mentioned something about you know high costs at the beginning of this. When we look at some data of ranch costs, and these are more focused down here, but feed costs is is the number one cost, and that you know if you're fertilizing pastures, if you get improved grasses, you're doing things like that. We you know our feed costs become a huge share of total costs. Uh, and where I'm going with this is this idea of uh, feed costs, hay production. You know, I think we're headed for some higher hay costs in the future too. This, the the drought is certainly affecting us. High fertilizer prices, I think, are going to, or we will we'll realize later have really cut into some of our hay production uh, across a, a big swath of the country. And so kind of thinking about uh, feed costs, alternative feeds, how we're going to deal with a high feed cost environment, even on the ranch, not just the feedlot, but but on the ranch, I think is is kind of an important thing to put some thought into.
0: Just just to go a little further with that, as you think about production systems, you already mentioned that you know central Texas East, a lot of improved species requiring you know fertilizer inputs. As we think about production systems that are really based on fossil fuels, I think, you know, are high input there. Is there some opportunity or maybe a challenge to think about our current production systems and maybe the need to adjust?
1: I think there sure is. And and I know, you know, I have certainly gotten questions uh, about, you know, along those lines. And I know some of my colleagues uh, that are range and pasture and forage grass specialists um, are getting those same questions where folks are looking at Maybe some alternative grass species, uh, the introduction of clovers, which are legumes, uh, the introduction of things like that, that may cut our f- commercial fertilizer costs and introduce some more species and have maybe a different type of. To- uh, of our, uh, we look at our pasture at a grass population, where we may see some changes going on there, and then that's going to affect stocking rates. It's going to affect a lot of other things, but. If we can do some things like that, that reduce some of those other costs, we may end up more profitable. So I think we have a lot of folks looking at some different types of grasses and rotations and what can we do differently that actually set us up with some lower costs, even in this. Uh, and when I say and not only just lower costs, but more profits, which is really our goal, uh, even with uh, this you know high cost environment that we're in.
0: As we talk about those kind of scenarios, do you see a situation where maybe we are less productive, but less productive in an effort to be more profitable?
1: You know, in some cases we could be with uh, where, where, you know, certainly the amount of grass production in, in these improved species where we're fertilizing a bunch. And, you know, if we're not going to fertilize as much. We're not going to produce as much grass, which should affect how many animals we can have. But I think the situation could be where we could produce less, but be more profitable, looking at those kinds of grazing and pasture management systems. Uh, and, and really our, you know we might think about our goal being more profitable. Not you know, there's an economist, we'll talk about maximizing profits, not necessarily maximizing production. So we're really looking at what's that optimal. Uh, a thing rather than a maximum, and 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 I think that's the question a lot of people are looking at: is Can I change my grasses? Can I change what I have here, yet still be more profitable? And and that's really the goal I think we're usually looking for.
0: Doctor Anderson, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for the conversation.
1: Hey, you're welcome. I mean, I think this is a, this whole area. You know, there's a lot of fascinating stuff to talk about, and and I sure appreciate the chance to be with you today. Well, for more information on the topic
0: that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Also, if you have questions for Dr. David Anderson, you can find him at Texas A&M University. Again, he's in the Department of Agricultural Economics.